0: Chapter Five of Hannibal. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Diana Moilinger. Hannibal by Jacob Abbott, Chapter Five: Hannibal crosses the Alps. It is difficult for anyone who has not actually seen such mountain scenery as it presented by the Alps, to form any clear conception of its magnificence and grandeur. Hannibal had never seen the Alps, but the world was filled then, as now, with their fame. Some of the leading features of sublimity and grandeur which these mountains exhibit results mainly from the perpetual cold which rains upon their summits. This is owing simply to their elevation in every part of the earth as we ascend from the surface of the ground into the atmosphere it becomes for some mysterious reason or other more and more cold as we rise so that over our heads wherever we are there reigns, at a distance of two or three miles above us an intense and perpetual cold this is true not only in the cool and temperature latitudes but also in the most torrid regions of the globe If we were to ascend in a balloon at Borneo at midday, when the burning sun of the tropics was directly over our heads to an elevation of five or six miles, we should find that although we had been moving nearer to the sun all the time, its rays would have lost gradually all their power. They would fall upon us as brightly as ever, but their heat would be gone, they would feel like moonbeams, and we should be surrounded with an atmosphere as frosty as that of the icebergs in the frigid zone it is from this region of perpetual cold that hailstones descend upon us in the midst of summer and snow is continually forming and falling there but the light and fleeky flakes melt before they reach the earth so that while the hail has such solidity and momentum that it forces its way through the snow dissolves and falls upon us as a cool and refreshing rain rain cools the air around us and the ground because it comes from cooler regions of the air above now it happens that not only the summits but extensive portions of the upper declivities of the alps rise into the region of perpetual winter of course ice can gills continually there and the snow which forms falls to the ground as snow and accumulates in vast and permanent stores the summit of mont blanc is covered with a bed of snow of enormous thickness which is almost as much a permanent geological stratum of the mountain as the granite which lies beneath it Of course during the winter months the whole country of the alps valley as well as hill is covered with snow in the spring the snow melts in the valleys and plains and higher up it becomes damp and heavy with partial melting and slides down in the declivities in vast avalanches which sometimes are of such enormous magnitude and descend with such resistless force as to bring down earth rocks and even the trees of the forest in their train on the higher declivities however and over all the rounded summits the snow still clings to its place yielding but very little to the feeble beams of the sun even in july there are vast ravines and valleys among the higher alps where the snow accumulates being driven into them by winds and storms in the winter and sliding into them with great avalanches in the spring these vast depositories of snow become changed into ice below the surface for at the surface there is a continual melting and water flowing down through the mass freezes below thus there are valleys or rather ravines some of them two or three miles wide and ten or fifteen miles long filled with ice transparent solid and blue hundreds of feet in deep they are called glaciers and what is most astonishing in respect to these icy accumulations is that through the ice is perfectly compact and solid the whole mass is found to be continued in a state of slow motion down the valley in which it lies at the rate of about a foot in twenty-four hours by standing upon the surface and listening attentively we hear from time to time a grinding sound the rocks which lie along the sides are pulverized and are continually moving against each other and falling and then besides which is a more direct and positive proof still of the motion of the mass a mark may be set up upon the ice as has been often done and marks corresponding to it made upon the solid rocks on each side of the valley and by this means the fact of the motion and the exact rate of it may be fully ascertained thus these valleys are really and literally rivers of ice rising among the summits of the mountains and flowing slowly it is true but with a continuous and certain current to a sort of mountain some great and open valley below here the streams which have flown over the surface above and descended into the mass through countless crevices and chasms into which the traveller looks down with terror concentrate and issue from under the ice in a turbid torrent which comes out from a vast archway made by the falling in of the masses which the water has undermined this lower end of the glacier sometimes presents a perpendicular wall hundreds of feet in high sometimes it crowds down into the fertile valley advancing in some unusually cold summer into a cultivated country where as it slowly moves on it ploughs up the ground carries away the orchard and fields, and even drives the inhabitants from the villages with it threatens. If the next summer proves warm, the terrible monster slowly draws back its rigid head, and the inhabitants return to the ground it reluctantly evacuates and attempt to repair the damage it has done. The Alps lie between France and Italy, and the great valleys and the ranges of mountain land lie in such a direction that they must be crossed in order to pass from one country to the other. These ranges are, however, not regular. They are traversed by innumerable chasms, fissures, and ravines. In some places they rise in vast rounded summits and swells covered with fields of spotless snow. In others they tower in lofty needle-like peaks which even the chamois cannot scale and where scarcely a flake of snow can find a place of rest. Around and among these peaks and summits and through these frightful defiles and chasms the roads twist and turn in a zigzag and constantly ascending course creeping along the most frightful precipices sometimes beneath them and sometimes on the brink, penetrating the darkest and gloomiest defiles skirting the most impetuous and foaming torrents and at last perhaps emerging upon the surface of a glacier to be lost in interminable fields of ice and snow where countless brooks run in glassy channels and crevices yawn ready to take advantage of any slip which may enable them to take down the traveller into their bottomless abysses. And yet, notwithstanding the awful desolation which reigns in the upper regions of the Alps, the lower valleys, through which the streams finally meander out into the open plains, and by which the traveller gains access to the sublimer scenes of the upper mountains, are inexpressibly verdant and beautiful. They are fertilized by the deposits of continual inundations in the early spring, and the sun beats down into them with a genial warmth in summer which brings out millions of flowers of the most beautiful forms and colors and ripens rapidly the broadest and richest fields of grain cottages of every picturesque and beautiful form tenanted by the cultivators the shepherds and herdsmen crown every little swell in the bottom of the valley and cling to the declivities of the mountains which rise on either hand Above them eternal forests of firs and pines wave, feathering over the steepest and most rocky slopes with their sombre foliage. Still higher gray precipices rise, and spires and pinnacles, far grander and more picturesque, if not so symmetrically formed, than those constructed by man. Between these there is seen here and there in the background vast towering masses of white and dazzling snow, which crown the summits of the loftier mountains beyond hannibal's determination to carry an army into italy by way of the alps instead of transporting them by galleys over the sea has always been regarded as one of the greatest undertakings of ancient times he hesitated for some time whether he should go down the rhone and meet and give battle to scipio or whether he should leave the roman army to its course and proceed himself directly toward the alps and italy the officers and soldiers of the army who had now learned something of their destination and of their leader's plans wanted to go and meet the romans they dreaded the alps they were willing to encounter a military foe however formidable for this was a danger that they were accustomed to and could understand but their imagination were appalled at the novel and awful images they formed of falling down precipices of ragged rocks or of gradually freezing and being buried half-alive during the process in eternal snows. Hannibal, when he found that his soldiers were afraid to proceed, called the leading portions of his army together and made them an address. He remonstrated with them for yielding now to unworthy fears after having successfully met and triumphed over such dangers as they had already incurred. You have surmounted the Pyrenees, said he. You have crossed the Rhone. You are now actually in sight of the Alps which are the very gates of access to the country of the enemy. What do you conceive the Alps to be? They are nothing but high mountains, after all. Suppose they are higher than the Pyrenees. They do not reach to the skies. And, since they do not, they cannot be insurmountable. They are surmounted, in fact, every day. They are even inhabited and cultivated, and travelers continually pass over them to and fro. And what a single man can do, an army can do, for an army is only a large number of single men in fact to a soldier who has nothing to carry with him but the implements of war no way can be too difficult to be surmounted by courage and energy after finishing his speech hannibal finding his men reanimated and encouraged by what he had said ordered them to go to their tents and refresh themselves and prepare to march on the following day they made no further opposition to going on Hannibal did not, however, proceed at once directly toward the Alps. He did not know what the plans of Scipio might be, who, it will be recollected, was below him on the Rhone, with the Roman army. He did not wish to waste his time and his strength in the contest with Scipio in Gaul, but to press on and get across the Alps into Italy as soon as possible. And so, fearing lest Scipio should strike across the country, and intercept him if he should attempt to go by the most direct route he determined to move northwardly up the river rhone till he should get well into the interior with a view of reaching the alps ultimately by a more circuitous journey it was in fact the plan of scipio to come up with hannibal and attack him as soon as possible and accordingly as soon as his horsemen or rather those who were left alive after the battle had returned and informed him that hannibal and his army were near he put his camp in motion and moved rapidly up the river he arrived at the place where the carthaginians had crossed a few days after they had gone the spot was in a terrible state of ruin and confusion the grass and the herbage were trampled down for a circuit of a mile and all over the space were spots of black and smoldering remains where the campfires had been kindled the tops and branches of trees lay everywhere around their leaves withering in the sun, and the groves and forests were encumbered with limbs, and rejected trunks, and trees felled and left where they lay. The shore was lined far down the stream with ruins of boats and rafts, with weapons which had been lost or abandoned, and with the bodies of those who had been drowned in the passage, or killed in a contest on the shore. These and numerous other vestiges remained, but the army was gone there were however upon the ground groups of natives and other visitors who had come to look at the spot now destined to become so memorable in history from these men scipio learned when and where hannibal had gone he decided that it was useless to attempt to pursue him he was greatly perplexed to know what to do in the casting of lots spain had fallen to him but now that the great enemy who had come forth to meet had left spain altogether His only hope of intercepting his progress was to sail back into Italy, and meet him as he came down from the Alps into the great valley of the Po. Still, as Spain had been assigned to him as his province, he could not well entirely abandon it. He accordingly sent forward the largest part of his army into Spain, to attack the forces that Hannibal had left there, while he himself, with a smaller force, went down to the seashore and sailed back to Italy again he expected to find roman forces in the valley of the po with which he hoped to be strong enough to meet hannibal as he descended from the mountains if he should succeed in effecting a passage over them in the meantime hannibal went on drawing nearer and nearer to the ranges of snowy summits which his soldiers had seen for many days in their eastern horizon these ranges were very resplendent and grand when the sun went down into the west for then it shone directly upon them As the army approached nearer and nearer to them and gradually withdrew from sight and disappeared being concealed by intervening summits less lofty but nearer as the soldiers went on however they began to penetrate the valleys and draw near to the awful chasms and precipices among the mountains and saw the turbid torrents descending from them their fears revived it was however now too late to retreat they pressed forward ascending continually till their road grew extremely precipitous and insecure, threading its way through almost impassable defiles, with rugged cliffs overhanging them, and snowy summits towering all around. At last they came to a narrow defile, through which they must necessarily pass, but which was guarded by large bodies of armed men assembled on the rocks and precipices above, ready to hurl stones and weapons of every kind upon them, if they should attempt to pass truth. The army halted hannibal ordered them to encamp where they were until he could consider what to do in the course of the day he learned that the mountaineers did not remain at their elevated post during the night on account of the intense cold and exposure knowing too that it would be impossible for an army to traverse such a pass as they were attempting to guard without daylight to guide them for the road or rather pathway which passes through these defiles, files follows generally the course of a mountain torrent which flows through the succession of frightful ravines and chasms, and often passes along on a shelf or projection of the rock, hundreds and sometimes thousands of feet from the bed of the stream, which foams and roars far below. There could be, of course, be no hope of passing safely by such a route without the light of day. The mountaineers, therefore, knowing that it was not necessary to guard the pass at night, its own terrible danger being then a sufficient protection, were accustomed to disperse in the evening, and descend to regions where they could find shelter and repose, and to return and renew their watch in the morning. When Hannibal learned this, he determined to anticipate them in getting up upon the rocks the next day, and, in order to prevent their entertaining any suspicion of his design, he pretended to be making all the arrangements for encamping for the night on the ground he had taken. He accordingly pitched more tents, and built, toward evening, a great many fires, and he began some preparations indicating that it was his intention the next day to force his way through the pass he moved forward a strong detachment up to a point near the entrance to the pass and put them in a fortified position there as if to have them all ready to advance when the proper time should arrive on the following day the mountaineers seeing all these preparations going on looked forward to a conflict on the morrow and during the night left their positions as usual to descend to places of shelter. The next morning, however, when they began at an early hour to ascend to them again, they were astonished to find all the lofty rocks and cliffs and shelving projections which overhung the pass covered with Carthaginians. Hannibal had aroused a strong body of his men at the earliest dawn, and led them up by steep climbing, to the places which the mountaineers had left, so as to be there before them the mountaineers paused astonished at this spectacle and their disappointment and rage were such increased on looking down into the valley below and seeing there the remainder of the carthaginian army quietly moving through the pass in a long train safe apparently from any molestations since friends and not enemies were now in possession of the cliffs above the mountaineers could not restrain their feelings of vexation and anger but immediately rushed down the declivities which they had in part ascended and attacked the army in the defile. An awful scene of struggle and confusion ensued. Some were killed by weapons or by rocks rolled down upon them. Others contending together and struggling desperately in places of every narrow foothold, tumbled along down the rugged rocks into the torrent below, and horses, laden with baggage and stores, became frightened and unimaginable, and crowded each other over the most frightful precipices. Hannibal, who was above the higher rocks, looked down upon this scene for a time with the greatest anxiety and terror. He did not dare to descend himself and mingle in the affray, for fear of increasing the confusion. He soon found, however, that it was absolutely necessary for him to interpose, and he came down as rapidly as possible, his detachment with him. They descended by oblique and zigzag paths, wherever they could get footing among the rocks, and attacked the mountaineers with great fury. The result was, as he had feared, a great increase at first of the confusion and the slaughter. The horses were more and more terrified by the fresh energy of the combat, and by the resounding of louder shouts and cries, which were made doubly terrific by the echoes and the reverberations of the mountains. They crowded against each other, and fell, horses and men together, in masses, over the cliffs to the rugged rocks below, where they lay in confusion, some dead and others dying, writhing helplessly in agony or vainly endeavoring to crawl away. End of chapter five